Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 30th of April 2013. I always suggest at the beginning of the broadcast that people should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. There's lots and lots of audio to download where I go through the system we call reality, uh, the real system behind it, of course, that really gives us our versions of reality because we're living through a scientific system, basically, have been our whole lives, so your parents and parents before them, because that's the, 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 the reality of science today. It's been that for a long, long time. The art of controlling people's minds is thousands of years old, and all leaders were taught these things by advisors thousands of years ago, all up to the present time. Today it's more scientifically classified and so on, and it's much more perfected. And with mass media control and standardized education, it's easy to indoctrinate billions of people all on the same agenda. And you get your, your worldwide reality from the news every day, and a lot of that's just pure junk as well. So I go through the history of it too and the fact that we're living in a completely different system than the one you believe you're living in where rights and all the rest of it went out long, long ago. And you've even been trained. You've even been trained to accept the new system over many years into the new global type of society, an authoritarian system that the Club of Rome talked about. They said democracy wouldn't work. They would, they would keep the sham going for as long as they could and use it actually for wars and so on, you know, spreading democracy and all that. But in reality, we're being trained into authoritarianism to get things done by those in control. Bernays talked about it too. So go into the archive section at cuttingthroughthemarriage.com and, and you'll find out the histories of the, the organizations that set themselves up openly a hundred years ago. Uh, they existed before that, of course, but they openly set themselves up to take over the world's system, uh, the complete food supply, water supply, mineral supplies, everything that was vital to human life, all the natural resources, and, and change the world into a world run by corporations. And, and privatizing everything. We're living through it all today, of course. And your government leaves an appendage of these big international corporations. Member two, you're the listeners that bring me to you. You can help me take along by getting the books and this at cuttingthroughthemedics.com where I explain the art of conology, which is conning you all the time. And uh, the old science of it too, down through the ages. And from the US to Canada, remember you can use personal checks to order or international postal money orders, or you can send cash or use PayPal. And straight donations are really seriously welcome as we go through inflation, of course, which we call quantitative easing, as we get taught that uh, your money's worth less, you have to pay more for all energy and so on, and you have no free spending money. That's austerity. That's what they mean by austerity. How did you think they were going to bring it in when they said they're going to bring austerity in? They have to make it happen, and they're doing it. So uh, across the C2, remember you can order using PayPal, Western Union MoneyGram. And once again, straight donations are awfully seriously welcome. Now, most folk really hate to hear that they're fairly powerless today. They hate to hear that because they've been taught uh, that that, uh, they have rights and and freedoms and so on. But we've also gone through the age of privilege. 
And privileges, of course, are really this, the new system that you're living in, in a stratified system of society uh, with different uh, grading, you might say, the populations all up the way up. The, the new class system is in a grading system. Uh, according to your, your, your um, necessity to this system, we're all graded. And according to your grade, you get more or less rights. It all depends who you are. An example of that yesterday was when I mentioned that the, the aides for, for Obama and so on and the, all the lawyers that work for Washington, D.C., etc., get exempt from all the, the, the health care laws that are coming down. They, they won't go to prison if they don't pay for it. They have their own private systems working for them. So all this nonsense, we're all the same and equal, etc., etc. It's, it's always been a, a farce down through history. It's never really existed. Uh, even in a communist system, is no different. It was simply a dominant minority that moved in from abroad and took over Russia and called it the Soviet system. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix and I've Spoken many times about perception management. Everything today is perception management. It's not necessary to give people the truth about anything. It's, it's necessary to give them perceptions about things. And there's various ways of doing that, of course. And going to even Plato and other ancient philosophers that talked about um, the art of persuasion. It's very interesting to see the art of persuasion and rhetoric and so on. And how we can appeal to different Types of characters by appealing to emotions, that's one of the better ones, things that you have in common with people, rather than reason and logic. Reason and logic don't work that well. And many modern studies have proven this over and over again, where actually I've, met, I've mentioned before on the radio that um, dramas, especially soap operas, uh, used by um, various organizations to prevent pregnancy, get more effects in putting it out in dramatized form during soaps than they do with just straightforward lectures, things like that. But it goes with everything that we think about. We're given our opinions mainly through fiction today because fiction works in tandem with all agendas that are on the, the table to be implemented or are under implementation at the moment. It's a very old art. It's always really been that way. And the public are trained in every generation for what's to come. That's how perfect it is today. People don't realize that, that uh, this has been going on for a long, long time. Beria, who was the, the KGB, or actually it was the NKVD chief at the time in the, the old Soviet Union in the 1930s, gave a talk to the Comintern, uh, which is published, you can find it yourselves. But he said that uh, we can get, it used to take 70 years, that was the old uh, way of, of calling a generation, it was 70 years. Uh, to ch- get a change, a single change in culture underway to make it happen. 70 years of propaganda, persuasion and so on. He says, today we can do it in four or five years. He says, eventually we'll be able to update it every three years by training the public from birth. So once you're trained from birth, techniques are implanted in your mind to make you uh, listen to the, the voice of authority, especially that's saying it. The expert conditions all to believe in expert statements, statements and so on. And actually, the, right down to the creating of a kind of rock star heroes, which are scientists. They actually do that. There's whole, a whole mechanism to make them into heroes, you understand, and get their names out there. And then they come forth with their various agendas. That's how easy it is to persuade the public about something. Whether it's true or false doesn't matter. 
So we're trained very, very quickly. And with the techniques today, you find the children going into kindergarten are being trained for the changes they will experience, cultural law and all other, other laws and so on come down in their lifetime, in advance. They're getting trained in advance so they'll be open to it. Just like for 30 years they worked on, say, homosexual marriage. And, and what's the difference in moral relativity? And I've done so many, I've read them on the air, so many polls every so often to find out the different age groups and what their opinions are and how they're changing. And they're very precise. And now, of course, they've got the generation there, it's rather more indoctrination, and they're all, so what? They say, so what? You know, so that's how easy it is. That's only one, th- one area. They can do it in any area that they want to take it, including killing off people if they want to. There's too many people. They can actually can train them if they want to, and it'll be, it, they can be quite normal if they start early with indoctrinations at a very early young age. Then during their lifetime, some law come along, oh, there's a shortage of food, there's too many people, uh, who's going to go first? And then they'll have, just like moral relativity lessons, so many folk in a boat, who do we throw over the side or eat? Same kind of thing, who do we kill off? It's quite simple, very simple stuff. You just have to have your mind prepared for it first. And it's done without you even under, without you even reasoning through it. All the movies today also tie in with all the things that are coming up, all the sci-fi movies, etc. Because, again, emotive uh, indoctrination is far more uh, strong. It imprints in the mind and the brain more so than, than basic persuasion. So emotion coupled with, uh, with dramatic scenes that stay in you and cause some kind of emotion, grief, sorrow, whatever it happens to be, uh, will stay in there with the, the, the message that goes with it. And that will become your opinion. Very, very old stuff. And folk really don't know because they, they, they're, they're so soaked in media every day that they're, they're drenched in media. Uh, we have overdoses of data and the data doesn't have to have anything to do with truth, of course. A while back, too, I mentioned uh, a big university in the States, one of the Ivy League universities, where uh, in the history department and also the philosophy department, they were were training their students to give up fake history on the Internet. And then they could follow it, you see, to see how it spreads. And people will straight-facedly start to repeat this kind of stuff as though it's an absolute fact. Not that it's changing history is anything new. All history goes down the memory hole. Right now you have the European Union, for instance, that's trying to eliminate all sovereignty. And, of course, Rompuy at the top there said that many times, openly, that he wants to destroy sovereignty. He said that the age of the nation state is over. And... um, and what they're doing now is trying to eradicate all history of all the participating countries that, that are joined in this awful union, which none of them like, of course. So they simply eradicate the history from the present young children going into school. And it's like it's basically this has happened before. You understand it's basically um, been tried out by communist regimes and some other totalitarian regimes. I think Pol Pot used it, for instance, and and uh, he said that the year started with them taking over, year zero or year, year one. And that's how they really do it. Now, George Orwell also knew this and he, in his 90, book, 1984, where he worked in a department where literally they ch- he changed history all the time. That was his job. And old history went down the memory hole. 
We find that true. Now that they've done away with so many books, very few folk have paper books now, and that's the intention as well. What great, a great way to get rid of all the history in this time of transition or change into the global society and complete indoctrination uh, with the, the internet and so on. And you simply eradicate the actual hard copies of books. And you'll find that on the internet things are getting changed all the time or simply disappearing. Simply disappearing. So anyway, now again, true, the more data you take in, uh, the trivia data especially, the less you'll retain on anything actually, or be muddied up together and false. So people have to start, if they want to, they don't have to, of course, a lot of folk like the system. A lot of folk are, are oblivious to the system, and they say that ignorance is bliss, and that's very, very true. The happiest folk you'll meet, even the bottom classes, the lower classes, uh, simply don't know what's going on. They soak up all their media, their trivia, their movies, and their music, and they're quite happy. They have no weight on their mind on, on anything at all. So once you understand that something's been pushed you, as you say, the spirit moves you to understand what's happening and know about things, then it can be a, it can be a quite a heavy burden too, because now you're on your own. And once you know a lot of stuff, what you do about it too. But the thing is too is not to collapse mentally collapse in yourself and become utterly despondent when you understand it's always been like this. It's just more perfected today, that's all. Another thing, too, is not to... I don't yell out the stories. I mean, there's no point in doing that either. That's, that's really for media. That's for media attention. So on. You have to take things calmly. All the things which, which should annoy you or anger you, you take calmly because you're living under totalitarian systems, basically. And it really is that way too. You know, the best type of uh, slave, as I always say, uh, is the kind that doesn't know that they are a slave. And that's so true. That is so true. And before, uh, you see 9-11, for instance, and the whole world went into action at the same time and, and ran through the same massive bills to curtail all the freedoms of the public. Before that happened, people thought they were free then. And they objected to these sudden losses of, of rights and so. But to be honest with you, those 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 invisible bars were still there if you crossed any lines. They just, they just didn't see them. Now you basically see them, and that's how the system's always been run, very scientifically. Now, tonight I'm going to start off too with uh, uh, people who have really you always find in totalitarian systems and believe you me any system that has university degrees is totalitarian by the way uh, when you have to be licensed for something once you qualify because uh, licensing is a form of contr- a complete form of control that's what it is and so those who understood that when you bring in a world society and give out their licenses and so on, they can also take them back if you don't go that's True, the press is true of everything. So they all toe the line, as they say, and they do toe the line. And same in medicine, same in medicine. If a doctor, for instance, notices that a lot of his children that he's given the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine to end up with autism, and says anything, he's 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 going to be out. And tonight I'll put a link up there. It's called the Age of Autism. And it's from uh, Andrew Wakefield, the doctor that came out and was crucified for for his findings on MMR. He's one of the few ones with enough guts to, to to say what was happening and risk what happened to him as well. You meet up against the government and big big pharma, massive business. And remember, government too 
had single uh, measles um, uh, vaccines before this came in, and they didn't get these effects with the single vaccines. When they mixed it together with MMR, then there was problems. So government always goes for what was going to be cheaper in the long run. And so it's a matter of cost. And under that cost factor, the actual factor in how many folk they expect or many children they expect will have bad reactions to it or develop autism. It's all down to cost and economics, not human life. So anyway, I'll put this link up. And he does go through what he noticed. And he says that back in 1996-97, I was made aware of children developing autism called regressive autism. Following exposure in many cases to the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, such was my concern about the safety of the vaccine that I went back and reviewed every safety study, every pre-licensing study of the MMR vaccine and other measles-containing vaccines before they were put into children and after. And he was appalled by the quality of what they called science. Totally below par. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Warburg, cutting through the matrix, talking about vaccines and so on, and once again the massive uh, stance that governments take, of course, when it comes to cost effectiveness and all the rest of it. They don't care. They know that so many folk with certain genotypes, etc., will be affected by this, and they work out through cost and not through safety. And of course, Big Pharma has massive contracts, years in advance, sometimes 10, 20 years of contracts to fulfill, and it's all sealed and the whole bit and, and a done deal, and they're not going to retract anything at all. So anyway, we're living in private, public-private partnerships, as I say, which is just basically a form of fascism, and that's what it was designed to be. But Andrew Wakefield, as I say, he really suffered for, for coming out with his findings and having his patient safety first. Terrible thing you have is your patient safety first. And he talks about the MMR uh, vaccine. So when the MMR was, was introduced in the UK in the late 1980s, there were three brands that were introduced. Two of the three brands had to be withdrawn hurriedly four years later because they were causing meningitis in children as is babies at an unacceptable rate. In other words, two-thirds of the licensed vaccines in the UK had to be removed from circulation because they were dangerous. It took them four years to do it. It says, and what is very disturbing about this, and uh, this is brought to my attention by our government whistleblower, Dr. Alastair Torres, who was working at that time for the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, which is a regulatory body in the UK. He made it clear to the British government that they should not use those dangerous vaccines. He made it clear to the committee prior to the licensing of the MMR in 1987. Why? It is because he was brought in from Canada, where they were already having problems with this vaccine under the name Triverix the identical vaccine uh, to the vaccine which was introduced to the UK under the name Plusarix. And they had noticed that there were uh, cases of meningitis which were fair in excess of those which they had previously seen. So this meningitis was being caused by the mumps strain Urabi AM9. And so he advised the Joint Committee not to touch the vaccine because it was dangerous. They ignored his pleas and they went ahead and introduced it anyway. Now, you better understand, too, there's other agendas at work uh, here, too. We know, for instance, that uh, there are big, big plans for depopulation. There's no doubt about it. They've had world meetings, many world meetings. It's still going on, by the way, on depopulation and reducing the population. 
And at the end of World War Two, when the, when the king was still alive, they actually um, had a meeting. He hosted it in Britain, right at the end of the war. And they came out with the, the need to drastically reduce the population. The war hadn't killed enough of the people, and they wanted to do more about it. Now, we find the same thing with Kissinger, who talked about reducing the population in the world and the bill that he put forward, forth. And I'll put that up again tonight. But Kissinger also said that they can hit Africa, for instance, certain third world countries quickly, because they don't get the press to say there's a disaster happening. And, and whereas in the Western countries, those of education and mass communication, have been harder to do the same kind of thing there. And they came up with crippling diseases. Long-term crippling diseases would make it, make a person who's like that unlikely to be a good companion for marriage and have children. This is what you're dealing with in, in reality, folks. This is not, uh, I'm not plucking this stuff out of the air here, you know. This is what happens. And only about a year ago or two years ago, the Rockefeller boys got together again with their club, the Lucky Jean Club, with Oprah Winfrey and different ones that came out from the Irish Times, I believe. And they, they actually again pushed for not just a, a population reduction, but rapid depopulation they were calling for now. And you, you tie this in with, with the, the junk food that you're eating, which they know darn well is causing cancers of all kinds and autoimmune diseases. They know it. They're not eating it themselves at the top. We all know that. There's so many documents out on that today. I, I remember reading that on air at the time when Monsanto, when the main labs in the U.S., their own scientists and workers would not eat their own food. So they brought in their uh, organic, organic guys for the cafeteria, a company to bring in organic foods. They wouldn't eat the stuff. They saw what it did to the animal testing and so on. I mean, so you, so you only get certain kinds of warnings, and then it's up to your own mind. Remember what Albert Pike said? Albert Pike, who was the Grand Master of uh, the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, who's still lauded today, and who wasn't the Scottish Rite either. I mean, they were given their, their charter from the Grand Orient of France. But anyway, he did say that a person who, those who won't use their own mind, their own brain, were beasts of burden and stake on the table by choice. And consent. In other words, when you're given the hints and the clues, you're supposed to start working for yourself on it and think. But you see, most folk have been trained to listen to authority and wait for authority to warn you. Well, if authority doesn't have your best interests at heart, they're not going to warn you. Or they do little bits and pieces without telling you what to do about it. Then it's up to you. It is up to you. Don't look for heroes to do it for you. You are your own champion. And getting back to this article, it says, So advise the Joint Committee not to touch the vaccine, because it was dangerous. They ignored his pleas, and they went ahead and introduced it anyway. Four years later, it had to be hurriedly withdrawn, because it was causing precisely the complication that he'd warned them of. Moreover, they were asked, uh, uh, David Salisbury specifically, what was asked to allocate funds to active surveillance of adverse effects. For the government to go out there and look and ask doctors if they had seen cases of this meningitis, he said no, they wouldn't do that. That was denied and they relied on passive surveillance. In other words, spontaneous reports coming from doctors and hospitals. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. And I'll put this one up, this article up at the end of the night at cuttingthroughthematrix.com on Andrew Wakefield. It's a good article and it's worth reading for those who are concerned or thinking about what to do and so on. And also, too, we've seen so many sting operations going on. It seems to be all you need to do with terrorism is, is create the stings, get young, impressionable guys into it, and set them up and then charge them to, to validate the fact that you're living in a totalitarian state. If nothing's happening, it's hard to, to validate why you've got guys all over the streets uh, checking cars and all the rest of it or, or patting you down and, and um, doing internal examinations at airports and places like that. So they've got to cause the effects Again, they did this in ancient, this stuff, stuff in ancient Rome. There's always terror happening. Terror, terror, terror. It's awful good. And will keep you safe, but you can't have any rights in the meantime. But you also have grey areas too with police as well. And I'm sure lots of folk could, <laughs> could testify to that. But this is from Britain. It says, undercover police gave drugs to dealers in return for information. So that's okay, they say, to give, for them to peddle drugs to get information. But if you said you were doing the same thing, it wouldn't be the same thing for you. But says heroin and crack cocaine bought with taxpayers' money was routinely given to drug dealers in return for information. A former Scotland Yard undercover officer has alleged, he's written a book actually, Christian, Christian Plowman, 89, 39, claims that officers from SO10, the elite covert operations unit of the Metropolitan Police, would allow dealers to take amounts of classy drugs as a form of bribe. It says, although not illegal, the practice of officers handing over illicit drugs in return for leads is likely to reignite the debates over the ethics of undercover policing and bring fresh accusations of a lack of control over covert operatives. It says, we were, dealing, we were treading a line. Often we'd buy some drugs off someone who would be a junkie and he would promise to take us directly to the dealer the next time, but in return for what he'd, he'd actually want some of the drugs that he'd bought for us. We had to be careful that if we agreed to it, that he took the drugs himself, so he couldn't say that we supplied him, said Plowman. So it was okay, that's a little legality, as long as he took the drugs himself, didn't sell them. But Plowman said they'd never sold drugs, unlike Detective Constable Nicholas McFadden of West Yorkshire Police, who was jailed for 23 years last Thursday after stealing more than £1.2 million worth of drugs seized in police raids and selling them back onto the streets. Now this is happening in every country. It's happened in Montreal, in Canada, before too. I can remember years ago, uh, when they go through this farce of, uh, you know, it's a public show, uh, and they showed you some sort of bust, and had these, these big, it's almost like, um, like 12 ovens on a wall, actually. It's actually wall safes, big ones. And it's on a full of heroin. And so about two weeks later, there was an article in the paper, it all disappeared. They couldn't know where it went. It's all getting sold back to the streets. And it says, speaking publicly for the first time about his experience as a covert operative since leaving the Met in 2011, Plowman also accused the undercover unit of targeting low-hanging fruit instead of individuals at the top of the criminal chain. That's standard stuff. Standard stuff. He said some covert operations became focused upon getting heads on sticks, which Plowman said meant let's bag as many people as possible for whatever offence we can. 
As a result, the full-time undercover officer claims he often found himself targeting crack addicts instead of dealers and, and spying on ordinary people. Well, again, too, as this gets as much convictions through the courts as you can. Remember, the court system, the legal system is a big business, massive business. Plowman spent 16 years in the Met and was one of around 10 full-time covert ops. He was a close friend of Mark Kennedy, 43, the undercover officer who had at least one sexual relationship with a woman while infiltrating eco-activists. They're into everything, folks. They might even establish some of these groups and actually lead them. They do these kind of things. Be careful what you join. So Plowman was written, has written a book about his experiences called Crossing the Line. He says, although he praises his colleagues, the former officer describes the culture of SO10 as riven with machismo to the extent that undercover officers who requested psychological help were seen as not fit for the job. And it says here, he reveals that some former colleagues have threatened him since he left. His last job was working at North London pawn shop called TJ's Trading Post, set up by Scotland Jarred to trade in stolen goods, but which he believed operated as a honey trap that lured people to commit crime. More than a 100 people are believed to have been convicted, many for illegally trading their own passports and driving licenses. He claims the store encouraged people, so the cops were encouraging people from the store, in the store, in a poor area to, to commit offences by giving the impression that they could make easy money by trading ID documents. Now, they wouldn't have done it unless these guys had set up the store, right? It says there were not people whose arrests would make any visible impact on the community. If TJs had never opened, these people would never have been in prison for any offence, he said. Other decisions he disagreed with included the apparent mindset among senior officers that criminals maintained the modus operandi of southeast London gangsters in the 1970s, namely cutting deals during heavy drinking sessions. He said he spent weeks drinking in pubs that were believed to be the hubs of criminality, but in reality were full of ordinary working men. They see the police is like the anti-terrorism thing too. Uh, criminality has to be created to say it's a real problem. So they go out and they create it. This is reality. I mentioned before how Jack C. Lull, who was a good philosopher, talked about propaganda. He said all TV dramas that have television or, or, or movies to do with, with, uh, police, uh, or hospitals, doctors and so on. It's all propaganda. All of it's propaganda. Because it's both backed by big business. Big business. The law industry is an incredible big business, you know. And so they always give you the cop who's up all night long worrying about this particular crime and he's got to solve it, all that stuff. Here they are setting ordinary folk up for crime that they would never have committed unless they'd set up this thing in the first place and encouraged them and told them it's okay. That's the world you live in. That's the world you live in. Now, another article, too, is how Monsanto controls your diet. I mentioned before that the Royal Institute of International Affairs, that was one of the biggest, it is still the biggest uh, uh, organization uh, that came out publicly from the Milner Group and the Cecil Rhodes Foundation. They already started wars, by the way. That's part of their technique, based in London. And they, they, they were, they're a private organization with front foundations. They funnel millions of pounds across the world to non-governmental organization armies, which they control. And they also have as their members all the top international bankers. 
who own most of the big, big international businesses that you normally see. The banks own them. And they own the military-industrial complex businesses as well. And that the branch in the U.S. is the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations. Every top reporter is a member of it. They know what to say, what not to say. Every editor, every newspaper owner is a member of it. They put their own members in as politicians and the head of all political parties. Every member, the head, is a member of the party. They're all Institute for International Affairs. And he talks about privatizing the whole world and they're, and they're under the control. Everything you need to live on. So back to Monsanto. What do you think this is all about? Where they've got all their patented seeds and all the rest of it. And at the same time, uh, the folk are losing all their old seed. All they're left with is Monsanto's and they, they can't collect a seed. They've got to go back to Monsanto every year to get more. That's, oh, what a power that is, folks. So Monsanto controls your diets. The chemical company's influence extends across all three branches of government and affects our daily lives. It says 40% of the crops grown in the U.S. contain their genes, Monsanto's. They produce the, the world's top-selling herbicides as well, which you must use with their seeds, so they go both ways. Several of their factories are now toxic Superfund sites, which we'll have to clean up with tax money. They spend millions lobbying the government each year. They've also got members, by the way, on, on the, the FDA. It says it's, it's time to take a closer look at who's controlling the food and poisoning our land and influencing all three branches of government. Well, actually, it's not just them. It's also Big Farm and a bunch of other organizations. And they have more say, believe you me, you think instant access to the politicians uh, as opposed to the ones who, the, the general public who elect them, that you can't get in to see them. So it says, to do that, the watchdog group Food and Water Watch recently published a corporate profile of Monsanto. That's a link that'll take you there. It's a good article, and I'll put it up tonight to uh, cuttingthroughthemarriage.com. And you'd find out what they're all up to. I mean, they've taken over, not just Monsanto, but Synergia and other ones are, are taking over the whole world's food supply. That's incredible power. And under other names, other organizations run by the same boys are going for all the water supplies on the planet. And we're letting it all happen. Because your government's letting it all happen. And you expect your government to be looking after you, don't you? Think again. Now, Portugal is to sue the banks over toxic deals. Now, that they've been slammed, of course. This is will take banking giants J.P. Morgan and Sandanter to court to make them renegotiate deals that have left state-run companies paying hefty interest rates. The banking system has always been utterly corrupt. Uh, you cannot have what you call, even if you had, even if you did have this thing called democracy, you could, it couldn't exist with private banks running the show, because they do run the show, especially the big central banks, and running across the world doing whatever they want. You, you could not, I couldn't coexist with it. It's impossible. Now, Obama, too, we well know that he stood up for Gosnell, the guy who was at the slaughterhouse abortion clinic where he was killing children that had been born alive. And, and of course, the, the, the word went in from the powerful folks to, you know, let him off with it, basically. They dropped a whole bunch of charges against him killing alive births. So it broke the law. So now the law's changed, obviously. Now it's, it's okay to kill him after that, you see. And Obama comes out afterwards and to the largest abortion provider, uh, and which is Planned Parenthood, and he says, God bless you. 
That's what he said at the end of his talk to them. God bless you. What God is he talking about here? Is some pagan thing of slaughter or what? What is it? Burnt offerings? What is it? What is this God? Money? Just what is it? it should, people should be asking, asking him this, demanding an answer. So he ended his address to the largest abortion provider in the U.S. Planned Parenthood saying, by saying, God bless you. So there you go. But again, it doesn't matter to the general public because they're so jaded today. And they've been trained that life really doesn't matter as long as it's not anything to do with them. Until it comes their turn for euthanasia at the other end when, when they say, well, you're too old or you're not important to the community. We can't give you the best treatment for this disease or illness because you're just not worth it. If you're important to society, uh, it, then you would get it. Then they'll be howling like stuck pigs. That's how folk are, though, you know. And also, too, a new study shows that half of the global warming in the USA is artificial. Now, that's really always been known. It says, U.S. temperature trends show a spurious doubling due to the NOAA stations, NOAA station, citing problems with the site, their, their equipment for testing and recording, and post-measurement adjustments. It says, um, a reanalysis of U.S. surface station temperatures being performed using the recently WMO-approved citing classification system devised by Meteo France's Michael Leroy. New sighting classification more accurately characterizes the quality of the location in terms of monitoring long-term spatially representative surface temperature trends. Now, the old, in the old days, they set up a lot of this, this, these monitors, even temperatures and throwers, in, in fields which are now encased in concrete called cities. As you all know, who's lived in the city, you get roasted there with the reflections of the heat bouncing back off all the concrete, which really steps up the temperatures. But they don't bother about that. They just tuck it in and give you scary scenarios. But I'll put this up tonight to show you what else I've done to skew temperatures, uh, facts, to, for, for, again, big, big political agendas and social agendas. I'll put that link up too. Netanyahu came out on the Haaretz, and this is, uh, and it says, Boston attack is good for Israel. So someone always, always benefits it. And this is actually from another website that took it. It says, The senior aide to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has voiced expectations that the Boston Marathon attacks will strengthen American support for Israel. The Israel newspaper Haaretz said Monday. Don Dermer, or Ron Dermer, the political advisor to Netanyahu, said that this was the case following the 9-11 terrorist attacks too, obviously. The same thing he said then too. At a close meeting with the heads of the American Jewish organizations, it was reported that the Dermers said, if we look through history, a large and bitter change happened after 9-11, after the tragic attack in Boston. I'm sure that people in America will feel more sympathy with Israel and support its anti-terror fights. So whatever happens in the world, someone benefits. Yeah. And also, this article too is to do with lawmakers to start from scratch after the CISPA bill is shelved. This is to do with the complete monitoring of every individual legally. Not that they're not doing it already. Of course they are. But uh, they shelved it and for different reasons than you would think. It says, Jay Rockefeller, head of the Senate Committee of Commerce, Science and Transportation, said CISPA has provisions that raise serious privacy concerns for citizens. But Friday, ranking members on the Select Committee on Intelligence, Saxby Chambliss, said that in his mind CISPA wouldn't be picked up for other reasons. It doesn't provide enough protections for the companies it would help, for the corporations. That's really what they're, 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 they want in it. 
So both senators are working towards new cybersecurity legislation in the Senate. It's also a different reason, eh? Now tonight too, I don't know if folk know that FEMA uh, has had, along with uh, working on, with uh, Homeland Security, has organizations of actors which go to disasters, uh, or potential disaster sites, meaning, meaning training drills. And they, that's, they work full time going from one place to the other. Men, women and children, families in other words. But there's one, one organization within them uh, that, that employs these folk and it's called HSEEP. And it's Actor Information Sheet and Waiver Form for the actors if you want a job in it by the way. So the Actor Information Sheet would be distributed to actors before the exercise and should accompany the Actor Waiver Form. The information sheet is provided as an example only and should be modified to suit the jurisdiction's needs, as well as the exercise scope, type, and scenario. For example, if decontamination will not be part of the exercise, actors do not need to be instructed to wear bathing suits. They actually tell me to wear bathing suits under their, their, their clothes. And it says, um, it tells them what to do. The day will be long and tiring. You'll need to be at the site by and the site will be, the time will be provided. You'll probably, uh, probably not finish until after and then give it a time again. If you have any health concerns or medical conditions, please tell the actor POC before the start of the exercise, etc., etc. You must be at least 18 years old and sign a waiver to participate. It says if you are not 18 and are not in the military, parental permission is required to participate so you can hire children too. And then tell you, eat a good breakfast and be at the right place and all the rest of it. And it tells you what to do, what to, what to wear, etc., etc. And wear layers of old clothing and then underneath a bathing suit because you're going to get wet, possibly with fake blood and stuff. I'll put this up tonight to cutting com. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about the actors that uh, go around to all these big drills that they have all the time and uh, the organization that they work for, for the Homeland Security and, uh, and FEMA, it's called HSEEP, Actor Information Sheet and so on and, and Waiver Form. And these instructions says it's very important to play your assigned role the best you can, but this doesn't mean that you should overreact. Now remember the other guys around there, well with the guns and that, they won't necessarily know that you're the actor. It says, overacting can be dangerous for yourself and the emergency workers in the exercise. When you arrive at the exercise site, you will be assigned an injury or role and will be briefed about your roles and what will happen during the exercise. If you do not know how to play your role or have to question or have questions about the briefing, ask the volunteer coordinators. I guess it's the guys with the caps and the black haversacks uh, on. If you're assigned the role of psychologically distressed person, please act upset but not out of control. If you get hurt or have any real problems, say this is a real emergency. You must use this phrase, this is a real emergency, to tell exercise staff members that you have a real problem and are not just acting. You must check in and sign out. When you arrive in the morning, you will sign in and be assigned an injury. A victim tag will be placed around your neck. 
this card must be returned at the checkout station. Do not remove or allow anyone to remove this victim tag during the exercise, even at the hospital. So you're, you even, they even move you from there to the hospital. You'll see it on TV and everything. When the exercise is over, return your victim tag with the questions completed on the back. Please be sure you understand all the points. If you have any questions, please contact and it gives you the, the address. We would like to ensure your safety and preparedness for this exercise. On behalf of the agency, jurisdiction and all of the participants in the exercise, thank you for volunteering. It will be an interesting and enjoyable day and as a result, our community will be better prepared to face real challenges in the future, it says here. Homeland Security Exercise and Evaluation Program, HSEEP. And I'll put this up with another link tonight that goes into it in further detail. And this is from the government, folks. Government. So there you go. And also, just to finish off, how the royal family in Britain, royal's lawyer in Britain, used Lord Levison, the guy that's put the crackdown on the press, and what you can say. Lord McAlpin, the guy that cracked down on inquiries and, and so on into pedophilia, and veiled threats to keep Rolf Harris, another guy that was a star for years over there, the Queen's Palm, to keep his arrest secret, and even trying to forbid us, the press, from even publishing their warning. So the lawyers used fewer over innocent peer to try and gag us. The emails from lawyers warned of consequences if we publish the story. That's Mr. Harris's arrest. Mr. Harris, who's now 83, was arrested last month as part of Operation U-Tree. And it says here, the mail on Sunday, uh, uh, this is, they're, they're told to, uh, not to lay off and not, not print the story. In a series of threatening emails sent to the paper, Lord, a London law firm, Harbottle and Lewis, that's the Queen's lawyers, warned of the highly damaging personal consequences in identifying their clients. They also brandished Lord Justice Levison's name to declare there was no public interest in reporting the arrest. Meaning, this guy will crack down on you too. This is the guy who's cracking down all press across Britain. It meant that for more than four months, the Mail on Sunday decided not to publish Mr. Harris's name in connection with the Savile investigation. Quite something, eh? And you think you're living in democracy. Eh? The mock part is true. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. A God of your gods go with you. <laughs>